0: Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Creesman,
1: and I'm Ira Creesman.
0: And on this episode, we continue our conversation on the plots, themes, and characters of Final Fantasy VI, wherever they may be. When last <laughs> yes, we left indeed. our heroes, <laughs> when last we left our heroes, we were searching for friends. We had gathered Edgar, Sabin, Celeste, and Setzer aboard. The Falcon, the buried ship of Setzer's old friend and presumably lover, Daryl. And we could go straight to Kefka's tower and face off against him and try to salvage what's left of the world. But that wouldn't really be in the spirit of Final Fantasy, and it certainly wouldn't be in the spirit of Final Fantasy VI. And so... We are going to, and by we, I mean Ira and I, as the players at this point, it, it it's interesting, you know, we tell these stories, some of them are very linear at certain times and get certain amount of uh, criticism for that, or not, depending on how much you care. Uh, in these moments, it is interesting that so much is put into the hands of the player. Uh, not really, in this instance, how events unfold, but I suppose more weather they unfold or not. Uh, But in in this case, we're just kind of go through them in an order that seems to uh, make the most sense to us in in the way that we've typically uh, gone about doing it. But more or less, the way this is set up is you're just allowed to, at your own pace, and in whatever order you choose, go about the business of finding all of the main characters of Final Fantasy VI over again so that their themes and plots and character arcs can all be completed and that they can play their role in the climax of the story.
1: So last episode we ended with uh, one of our birds of hope. Uh, Celeste sees it. She gets a feeling. She says, Setzer, follow that bird, and we and we follow the bird. To the town of Miranda. Uh, Miranda, as I'm sure we all remember at this point, is uh, one of the cities on the imperial continent, uh, the one that Celeste was in charge of taking over. And uh, all reports suggest she did that in a very brutal way. We learn a few things here. Uh, one, we hear that a, a knight came through. There are a couple people with a couple different opinions. One of them calls him like an old coot, calling everybody thou. Uh, But another one says that he was amazing, but his heart was full of chaos, which suggests to me that Cyan has been through recently.
0: There's also somebody who seems to have been blown away. There's like an old man who seems to have seen into his soul because he says something like uh, mentioning the chaos that, that you were talking about. But if he ever finds his equilibrium or something, he doesn't use that word, but basically he'll be the greatest warrior in the world. And it gives you this sense of like, yeah, when you look at Cyan, you could believe that. And women also regularly refer to him as handsome, which I appreciate because he's not not the young king of Figaro or the dashing rogue character. He's the older widower warrior who's been through a lot. And so I appreciate that he's seen as handsome in this world as well.
1: There are some thieves here who drop some hints about the Fanatic's Tower. One says something about, I could only climb so far and I had to turn back. Someone does, says something like, if you go two steps to the right of the treasure chest. So there's some, some of that that stands in for, you know, like a strategy guide or something. Most importantly to our next narrative step, though, we hear that Lola, the woman uh, who receives letters from her boyfriend in Mobliz, has been receiving a lot of letters lately. But we know what happened to Mobiles. Uh Just last episode, we talked about Terra and her many, many adopted children. There are no surviving boyfriends in, in Mobla's. So who's sending her all these handwritten letters? Who's sending her all these exquisitely made silk flowers? So if you visit Lola, you, know, you can talk to her, you can look at the flowers. And then one of our characters uh, recognizes the handwriting of Cyan, which is interesting. So... Uh, they know each other well enough to recognize each other's handwriting,
0: right? I I bumped on—I don't know if "bumped" is the right thing—but I noted that as well.
1: Maybe they're writing each other essays while you know running around having adventures.
0: I love the concept of again. We could add that, and that's something that uh, takes place in Final Fantasy IX and Twelve. There are Moogle mail services. Right. It would be interesting to see that employed somehow in our retelling of this world. So, because you're right, it would actually very much make sense that in an age or world where we still don't have telephonic abilities that you would communicate with each other through letters and carrier pigeon and people would sure. be very familiar with each other's handwriting.
1: Right, and and it's well established that people use carrier pigeons to send mail. I, I kind of like the idea of... It's almost anachronistic now to write letters, right? It was fun to see in Harry Potter that they were always writing each other letters and sending them by owl because... You know, in the modern world, we just don't do it much. My wife actually is very big on writing thank you letters. Uh, yeah. So sometimes sometimes I get in on that. Uh, but yeah, it would be fun to have that be part of, you know, a sub, sub, subplot of the story. In any case, Lola asks us the favor of uh, attaching her newest letter to her boyfriend to a pigeon. Uh, and we can do so. And then in doing so, we get to see where the bird flies off to. And it turns out it's our favorite town of Zozo. Hey! In Zozo, you can find a man who will sell you some rust rid. Uh, and you can climb a tower and find. You could find this rusted shut door before. But now we can unrust it. And we can find uh, Mount Zozo. This building will lead directly into the caves of the mountains that Zozo abuts. Uh, this is one of the fun things, I think, about the world of Ruin, that you return to all these familiar places, but you go, you find new areas in them. After making your way through the caves and the mountainsides, you finally find a cave in which somebody has been living. There's a, there's a pallet, there's a writing desk, there are a whole bunch of bouquets of silk flowers, and you can find a letter at one of the desks. Dear Lola, I am writing to beg for your forgiveness. I am guilty of perpetuating a terrible lie. I have only now realized the error of my ways. I hope I can correct a great wrong. Your boyfriend, who you believed was in Mobles, passed away some time ago. I have been writing in his stead. We humans tend to allow the past to destroy our lives. I implore you not to let this happen. It is time to look forward to rediscover love and embrace the beauty of life. You have so much of life left to live. Cyan. Yeah, it's a really nice letter, and as we will uh, soon discover, while he is encouraging Lola to live her life, he's not doing the same for himself. He he remains in turmoil.
0: There's also a, a beautiful irony of a man who has lost his family and is to some degree filling that void. He's lost his family, first of all, his his wife and his son, but now he's also lost his friends. And to fill that void, he is to some degree living in the past, writing letters to someone as though he were her boyfriend, to get to feel as though you are in love again, to pretend to be a, a young soldier, a lover off at war, and I would imagine there would be some thrill in that and, and also some rekindling of, of feelings that Cyan probably didn't think he would be allowed to feel, especially considering the violent nature of the death of his family to, to ever tell yourself that you could move on. So, you know, when, when he writes, the past can destroy us and we need to move on. He's writing to himself more than he's writing to Lola.
1: Right. Just outside this cave, on the other side of the cave, is a is a cliffside where we see Cyan sending off another letter. And then we get what is not quite a haiku. I think it was meant to be a haiku, but the syllables are off. The world before the fall, delightful is the light of dawn. Noble is the heart of man. I think we're just we're just slightly off on the syllable count there, for what it's worth.
0: Yeah, it's it's nice though. It's poetry. It is. Whatever the form.
1: So Cyan is at first thrilled to see his friends, and then he says, how did you find me? You didn't read my letters, did you? And then we get this <laughs> uh, embarrassed masculine samurai trying to hide his intricately folded, I assume origami folded silk flowers, yeah. uh, and, and to hide, his, hide the letters he's written. Uh, and Celeste comes in and she says, Cyan, these are beautiful. And he, he, at first he's, hurrum, hurrum, I have a mustache yeah, and, hurrum, and hurrum, a sword. Hurrum, hurrum. But then he's like, you know, you really think so? And, and then they have this nice conversation. Uh, he, he heard about Lola uh, passing through Miranda. She was sending letters every day and never received a reply. Uh, and he recognizes that he is much like her, that he is looking to the past that he has, you know, his heart is full of despair, his eyes are closed, he says. He also mentions that he ran into Sergao in Miranda, who was headed to the Veldt. So that's a clue of where we could go next. To to this particular narrative point, uh, I think it's particularly interesting that, again, he's trying to encourage others to move on, but he's still got, you know, he he recognizes that he's still living in the past.
0: I think there's also this, like, twisted guilt that a lot of soldiers feel and i don't i mean i we can't speak right too but if you were to i mean imagine being in the heart of battle every day and you're prepared that you might go but your family goes and you're still alive the punisher deals right. with this type of guilt where usually it's the other way it's the position this woman is in where she loses the soldier who's off at war, because that's, you know, a higher percentage chance. Right. And so that he can make her feel less bad for a while about having lost someone at war, there's like this perfect symmetry to it, but it's also, yeah, a a, a sad... Sad irony, because he he isn't really moving on, and they both need to accept, and it would be a far healthier relationship maybe if it was in person, but there's also something very sweet and not creepy or gross or weird about it
1: right it is I do think it is very nice. I think you could take it that way you could sort of look at it cynically and see that he's sort of hitting on this uh, woman. Who's probably much younger than him and in a vulnerable position, but I really don't think that's what he's doing. He's not hitting on her. He's not. He doesn't hope to gain anything out of this relationship other than letters back and forth. Right. You can take Cyan back to Miranda, uh, and he and Lola will have a conversation, wherein Lola will say that she she will acknowledge that she knew the flowers and letters were not from her boyfriend, but she didn't want to admit it. She she acknowledges she was lying to herself. But the letters helped. Uh, she says that the pain in her heart became bearable through the letters, and she's sure whoever wrote them has suffered greatly and wishes she could meet him. Now our friends of Cyan are prepared to say, "Oh well," and Cyan's like, "No, no." He he just sort of does that head shaking uh, mm-hmm. animation and uh, just encourages Lola to look to the future. Uh, you know, we've, again, we've got a lot of life left to live, so. I kind of if we were doing our remake I think they would both acknowledge without saying anything that they know who each let Lola understands that this is him that cyan right. was the one who was writing the letters I, you know I don't think the point needs to be belabored but I like no, the but idea
0: again it's been a year you know th- yeah. they've probably been having these correspondence. they would know each other pretty well
1: right so the next thing on the narrative line that I think we should talk about is Doma Castle. That might not be the best thing to do from a gameplay standpoint right away. But why don't we go ahead and talk about what happens, because we're already talking about Cyan. So if you return to Doma Castle, there's nobody there, but you will have run into a few different people who talk about having woken up there after the end of the world. And demons came for them and they, they fled. And and the people who say this do not look like people of Doma, which suggests that somehow they were drawn there uh, through their dreams, perhaps. Tough to say. But Doma Castle is empty. Uh, it's a little bit run down. And if you sleep there, you'll get the quirky music. And three kids, Curly, Larry, and Moe, the three dream stooges, they claim this man's soul as ours and uh, jump into the sleeping form of Cyan, who, when everybody else wakes up, does not wake up. So you follow the, the dream demons, uh, your your party's split up and you gotta like chase down your characters again and then fight the the Larry, Curly and Mo characters. They really strike me as kind of like the mega sisters and I really wish they just had been. Kind of in the way that I think Siegfried should have just been Gilgamesh. But my guess is production time between games made that like they didn't know how popular Gilgamesh was gonna be. You know, they didn't know they were going to reuse the Mega Sisters. So maybe that's why they're not.
0: Yeah, it seems a a random thing to reference. I love a Three Stooges reference as much as anybody, but it seems odd to just put it there. It does give it an extra layer of humor,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but. um, Which
1: I'm not sure is needed here.
0: I'm not sure it is either, because I think it's more effective as a creepy kind of situation
1: yeah either way you do eventually get your party back together except for cyan who's still asleep and you defeat the three dream stooges who then have no further purpose you find yourself in more dreams of cyan you're sort of in the soul of cyan and the the tortured part of his soul so you revisit the phantom train you find yourself in mines in magitek armor Uh, and eventually you find yourself back in the and bedroom And the ghosts or memories or or some echo of Elaine and Owain appear and they ask you to save Cyan's soul. Elaine says, you know, Cyan failed to defend us. He failed to defend Doma. He failed to defend the world. And this demon, Rexol, uh, which is the conglomeration of the wretched spirits of those dispatched in meaningless war, is taking advantage of him. That,
0: uh, what? That's yeah. That's amazing, right? Like, that's. It's interesting, too, because, again, I, I've tried to make a distinction about what I mean when I say Final Fantasy VI has been more grounded than a lot of other things. Like the magic <laughs> is built into the fabric of this world. And up until the point where you open the sealed gate, there's very little magic in the world. It's just Terra and Celeste, basically. I mean, you start getting some of the magic before that
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the magic but, tech armor right? magic but you know but other than
0: it being kind of a fantasy setting as opposed to say final fantasy 7 VII, 8 or 10 there's not that much what you might call psycho babble or time travel and false memories and alternate identities and loops and and whatever time compression is you know those kinds of things have Largely not existed here in Final Fantasy VI. And this is some of the most into that realm we get. We're in a dream, within a dream, talking to echoes of memories of Cyan's family about a conglomerate demon of the deceased souls of soldiers of, what was it? Forgotten wars or needless wars? Uh,
1: Dispatched in meaningless war.
0: Meaningless War. Ooh. Dispatched in Meaningless War is an album title for you. Huh. Yeah, I, I love this whole sequence and scene here, and it is interesting because he's been the character who's least into the advancements in age and technology, least into all of the magic stuff. He's been one of the more grounded characters, so I love that this sort of conclusion of his full-on story arc comes... Pro- he's probably got the weirdest one, the the one that requires the most suspension of disbelief.
1: Before our heroes can dispatch Rexol soul within the throne room of Cyan's soul, uh, we can get a few memories here. There's a memory of Cyan and his son's sparring. Uh, Cyan says that he is impressed with his son, that he could become one of the best fencers of Doma, and oh, Owain f- is thrilled to have been uh, praised by his father. There mm-hmm. is... Yeah. Mm. There's uh, a point where they are fishing in one of the canals in the castle. Uh, and at first, Owen is bored, but uh, Cyan explains that patience is part of the training, so Owen resolves to to learn patience. Mm. And then there's this scene that Elaine is speaking to Cyan, and she says, Do you love me? And he says, What do you want from me? A soldier doesn't say things like that. And I... Mm. I don't know quite how to feel about that, but he does eventually relent and he says, I love you more than anything. And then Wayne is, he's with like hiding in the room and he's thrilled to have heard his father say that he loves his mother. Uh, and he's almost teasing Cyan about it and, and Elaine tries to get him to, to settle down. And I feel like, okay again, I'm not like the foremost expert on the culture of Japan. But I've read an article or two about the sort of cute culture that you see in Japan that like Pokemon is part of and and Sailor Moon and all like each of these prefectures has a a mascot that's that's hyper cute. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of this rebelling against or an answer to the sort of hyper masculine nature of of a culture that relied on samurai and it was sort of like pushing away from that and I wonder you know again not an expert but I've read articles about this a couple times I don't know how much we can trust that but I do wonder if this is meant to be a commentary on that to some degree
0: well sure I I think so and and honestly I I don't think it's just Japanese culture you know I think there's I mean maybe the cuteness being a response to it being a specific manifestation but I think there are you know macho expectations of of masculinity that we, we talk about toxic masculinity that means different things to different people uh, in different cultures and societies but i think almost probably universally if you're a soldier you're expected to be a a protector there can be different and very difficult expectations and some people think that that means you have to put your emotions away and we've been through this with celeste who had to discover the emotional side of herself through the opera and then everything that's gone on since and so i think that this is a locked away and important memory in cyan's psyche it's him feeling guilt about not just being able to immediately come out and say yes of course i love you you know now with everything that he's seen and everything that's gone on in the world having to put up a, a strong front as a soldier doesn't seem like quite the priority it used to, I would imagine.
1: So, our heroes confront Rexel, uh, who claims to grow stronger with Cyan's anger, hatred, and guilt. Uh, our heroes are able to defeat Rexol. It's actually kind of a cool battle because the bad guy will possess one of our guys and we got to beat ourselves up a bit to get him to come out and fight him. Cyan will claim to have heard his family calling out to him, that they gave him the strength to come to grips with the suffering. And then, uh, you know, Cyan has had to see the ghosts of his family before and he sees them again now. And Elaine tells him how strong he is. And he says, no, I didn't do anything then or now. I'm a man without honor. And she says, no, you have entirely too much. Which I think speaks to what we were talking about with with certain expectations of masculinity, uh, no matter the, the real world culture. Right. From this cyan uh is able to uh let's see there they sort of become a sword i don't think it's even the best sword that he can have but they become a sword which is nicely symbolic the the ghosts the memories thereof uh cyan masters all his sword techs and you can find the magicite alexander
0: and and come to peace like you said with what's happened
1: <laughs> so next uh Cyan said he ran into Sir Gao, and Gao said he was going to the Veldt, so let us go to the Veldt. And the Veldt has the same music. I really like that music, and I'm glad that the Veldt does not have the sad music. So if you have a party of three, all you have to do to get Gao back is have a party of three, meet him on the Veldt, and he will say, as he has before, I'm Gao, I'm your friend, let's travel together. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> Yeah, he's
0: much easier to convince than some of the others.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's been on the belt, just trying to, you know, gain levels. I actually don't gain experience on the belt. You know, just gain more rages and do his thing. And he's he's glad to see you again. I am. I do kind of wish there was a little bit more here. Like he would be thrilled to see Sabin and Cyan, but that doesn't really happen. There is, however, a scene where if you take him to the Kooky Man's house up at the north of the belt, who's always looking for. Uh, a repairman, Saban will begin to suppose that this man might be Gao's father because there's been stories about he went crazy when his wife died, and and I think somebody I think somebody in the world of Balance supposes that might be the case. So they decide before they're going to introduce this man to his son, they need to uh, give Gao a makeover, and there's kind of a fun scene here where. They try to teach him table manners, and they dress him up. And Setzer and Edgar have very definite opinions on how they ought to dress him up. Uh, I think Locke suggests at one point he ought to have a, a bandana. So we're doing this before we find everybody. It's I think it's I think you get better scenes if you have everybody there, and and then they take Gao to meet his father, and the dad just. It's tough for me to tell if the dad won't recognize Gao or if he doesn't recognize Gao.
0: Yeah, either is heartbreaking.
1: Right. He's definitely kooky. He's definitely a little off. I get the impression a little bit that he might have been a former Imperial because you can come up here and ask him about Emperor Gestalt's map and he knows something about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that map will eventually lead you to the Phoenix Cave, which we'll get to eventually. But in a moment of what seems to me to be f- lucidity... The old man says, Now that you mention it, I once had a terrible dream, and in it a demon child was born. I grabbed the creature and rushed off to the veld with it. It was crying like crazy. I left the child there and ran. Suddenly, the crying stopped, and I turned around to find a terrible monster. Hideous. It still gives me the shakes. And this upsets Sabin, who appears to be prepared to attack the old man, but Gau stands in the way uh, and says, uh, My father is alive. And I'm happy. Yeah. Just to know. Yeah. And and that's basically it for Gao's story. Gao does not get a lot of story. I think we could build upon that some... Yeah, like I think there are some implications. Like we talked about, he really seems to see Sabin and Cyan as his people once they meet him on the veldt. I refer to them once as his dads, uh, which I think... Right. Because, you know cyan no longer, his son is dead, and uh, Sabin doesn't have children and and there's this, you know, this kid they're gonna take care of. and Sabin's the one who's standing up for him to the the kooky old man. So I, I really do like this. I think it ties into our themes of family. I think it ties into our themes of now with Cyan and Gao here, you know, f- finding a reason to move on, finding a reason to forgive the things that have happened. Uh, I think we saw that last episode with, with Setzer, and with Celeste. So I, it ties in nicely, even if it's a bit short.
0: Yeah. And like you said, though, most of it is implied. I feel like Gao and this scene really drive home the notion that there are different kinds of orphans, uh, different kinds of ways to lose family, sometimes people die, like to Cyan. Sometimes, like Terra, you're an orphan and you never knew your parents. Or Realm is right. an orphan who never knew her parents but does have a very close family member. Gao is different in that he's technically got a living biological father, but he doesn't have... That family in that way. Like you said, his family, maybe more than any other character in this who each do have a a more specific tie to somebody, Gao's family is just the Returners, the Warriors of Light, our heroes of the story. They're the ones that stand up for him in this moment. He's... So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see in any kind of remake or adaptation him get a little more of this fleshed out and have that theme driven home more? Because if, if found family is the central theme of Final Fantasy VI, he embodies it as much as anybody.
1: In the cave on the Velt, you know, assuming you go in, which you should, uh, you will find a dog barking. And, hey, that dog looks familiar. And if you follow the dog through the caves... Well, first there are thieves, uh, campfire, they'll talk about Gao, they'll talk about uh, some dragons, which are really dinosaurs that dwell in the, in the forest to the north. Uh, you can find the Rage All right, Ring. Smarty
0: Pants, what's the definition, what's the difference between a dragon and a dinosaur?
1: Well, at least in this case, uh, there are eight dragons that were released, and none of the creatures in the forest to the north are any of the eight dragons. They're the Tyrannosaur oh. and the Brontosaurus, which are just very difficult, random battles. <laughs> all right, fine. Have an answer, jerk. <laughs> uh, you can find the Rage Ring, which is a relic for a Sasquatch. And we didn't have a Sasquatch on our team, which, which is sort of a hint at the optional characters that we'll talk about as we get to them. There's a weapon called the Striker, which we know someone in the Coliseum is interested in. And there's something a little bit out of order here because the guy we expect to be interested in, the mean guy who dresses all in black, is actually deep in the caves, passed out, having... Uh, gotten his butt kicked by a behemoth. So defeating the behemoth uh, allows you to take Shadow back to Thamassa. There is a, a thing here. If you did not wait for Shadow on the floating continent, this will be Realm instead of Shadow. Yeah. You take them back to Thamassa. If it's Shadow, Shadow will have a dream, and it's actually the fourth or no, like the fifth dream in the sequence. So you can sort of... You, you can have gotten the other dreams before this dream, but I always did it in this order, and so I always got the last dream first. I
0: did too, and I think it was because we were trying to get all of the optional scenes for other people earlier in the game, and you can do all these ones late with Shadow. Right. But if we were redoing it, retelling it, or particularly as a television series and not as a game, which means we would... Have to specifically decide where to put them. Would you sprinkle shadows dream sequences throughout the story?
1: Maybe. Or maybe there would just be a an episode that is I I, I like that like
0: too. Just whenever you whenever you to tell to tell the you story you literally, and this is... Like, I talked about doing the lock infiltrate South Figaro in black mm-hmm. and white. This one could be in black and white or sort of that yellowish... Yeah. Hazy, sort of that you could give CPA this episode tones. its yeah this own its own aesthetic altogether, and write it and film it like an old Bonnie and Clyde film, yeah. because that's quite obviously <laughs> not even that subtly uh what's being referenced here,
1: so we'll tell the dreams in order, and even though we would see the the last one first this time we'll just we'll just do it in order. So if you take Shadow to an inn, you have a chance of, of seeing his dreams. So the first one is fairly short. It shows a guy we've never seen before. He's got a long brown cloak, and he's dressed in blue. Uh, and then we see a palette swap of the thief guy. Uh, and there's this sort of ominous noise. <laughs> I'm sorry, could you do that again? <laughs> oh, I guess you could. <laughs> so uh, a character named Barum says, Clyde, I'm done for. Find me here, please, Clyde. And that's the end of the nightmare. In the next dream, we're in the Phantom Forest, or at least it's a forest very much like the Phantom Forest. And Barham says, Clyde, we did it. Clyde says, yeah, a million GP, I love this. And Barham says, guess it's time to change our name. We, we need something more appropriate. And Clyde says, such as? And Barham says, shadow. And then Barham yeah. sort of fades out. And Clyde says, the great train robbers of the century. Shadow. So good. Uh, And then we get the really sad one. Barham says, I'm scared. Is this my blood? And Clyde says, you're going to be okay. And Barham says, I've let you down. Clyde says, save your strength. We're nearly to this town. And Barham says, you don't have to pretend. I've lost too much blood. Get going. I'm going to slow you down. You want to get caught? But before you go... You have to use your knife. And I think this is, the wording gets a little awkward here because they're trying not to talk about uh, suicide. They're trying not to talk about murdering your friends. They're trying not to talk about torture. But he says, think of what they'll do to me if I get caught. And Clyde, Clyde can't do it. He says, I can't, I'm sorry. And Barham says, you know, shouts after him as Clyde is running away. How dare you? The implication being that uh, a heist did Man. not go so well. Barham was injured, and Clyde couldn't finish him off, To could not perform the mercy killing. This is a phenomenal
0: example of show, don't tell. You could like teach this as a, a basic example, I think, in a middle school or a high school writing class. You would know better than me whether or not that makes sense. But... We don't see the heist go wrong. We don't get the details, like you said. We don't see whatever happens to Barum. It's obviously implied, but again, I like—I I even remember as a little kid, like getting it. You know, even though they don't say, I, I think it's just so well done. And then, when you're an adult and you go through it, you realize how much that would tear a person up.
1: In the next dream. Clyde stumbles into a town, and I think it's uh, pretty obvious to the player that this is Thamasa. Uh He's met by a dog, perhaps a young dog, uh, who barks at him. The screen goes fuzzy, like when a character is uh, unwell or, or dizzy. And he's met by a woman. And Clyde says, where am I? And the woman says, a village called Th-. and The... And the dream fades away. So finally, the fifth dream, the last dream is after our heroes take shadow to Thamassa, presumably because Thamasa is the closest town that they can get to. So so they recognize, you know, they, they're standing over him, worried about him, uh, and we fade into his dream. And we see uh, a character who we now know as Clyde leaving Thamassa. And a dog is chasing him and barks. Uh, this is pretty clearly Interceptor at this point. And he says, You came to fetch me but I won't be coming back. I want you and the girl to live in a peaceful world. And he leaves, and Interceptor follows. And Shadow wakes up, and it's pretty clear now that Shadow is Clyde. And Shadow has a connection to a girl in Thamassa whose parents aren't around. can both equip the Memento Ring, uh, and they're the only ones who can. Uh, Interceptor not only protects Shadow, but protects Realm. And that explains why Interceptor is so fond of Realm. That explains perhaps why Shadow agreed to go on this mission to Thamassa when the Empire decided to hire him. Uh and yeah, here we are yeah. with
0: And why he had something to fight for in yes. the battle with Kefka and the three statues. So
1: he you know, this is our connection to family. This is he also has a tragic past. He has a thing for which He probably has not forgiven himself and probably never will, but it's a, yeah, it's a really cool connection.
0: And you can understand why this is a person who would want to give up their old identity and would think that they wouldn't make a good father. You've just abandoned your friend uh, in in this horrible way, and maybe the first thing to do wouldn't have been to go to the magic town and and knock up some local gal, but... (laughs) Uh, yeah, people also fall in love and do things in emotional times, and yeah, it's it's another just really well thought out backstory for a character who could have just been a mysterious clothed ninja. And if you don't wait for him on <laughs> the the floating continent, right. that's all he'll ever be. You, oh, I guess you can't like you said, you can't get these dreams before that. Or if you just don't happen to know to to go to inns and stay. At places with him in your party you won't get these dreams but if you do it's yeah just this great little you know why would a person decide to dress all in black and allow rumors of themselves as a cold-blooded killer to circulate even though they really were clearly the whole time trying to figure out a way to put the world back together and that's one of the things i love about shadow is that it's why he's always been one of my favorites because I loved him just because he's this badass, cold-blooded killer ninja guy. But then when I found out he actually isn't that, I loved him that much more. He's actually just a father who didn't know how to take care of his kid. The only thing he knew how to do was fight and kill and steal. So he decided to use those things to try to stop the Empire without being able to take responsibility for Realm. Uh, and, And now he's... Just kind of wants to be around her, but can't bring himself to say it. Oh, it's so good. Heartbreaking. I love it. He's such a like, he's, like That's what I love about it. He is. Like he's, his heart is almost more broken than anyone's. Though on the surface, you'd never know it.
1: So I think we'd want a guy like that back in our party. He will not join you in Thamasa. When you leave Thamasa, even if you go right back in, they'll say, oh, yeah, that guy all in black, he took off for the Coliseum. So you can make your way to the Dragon's Neck Coliseum, that dude in the world of balance who wanted to create a coliseum finally has. It's its own building on the map, so it's like it's its own town, just like the opera house. Here you can find uh, a couple familiar faces. Ultros is is the receptionist. Apparently he could not pay off his debts, so now he's got like a several (laughs) lifetime (laughs) uh, sentence helping to run the place. Again... We, ne-
0: we got soldiers writing letters on behalf of other dead soldiers. We got father-daughter issues and a guy who abandoned his friend. We needed a little bit of levity from the purple octopus, who's right on time
1: to remind us just how ridiculous all of this is. <laughs> you can also find there's an imperial soldier here, perhaps the last of the imperial soldiers, who will give you a hint about uh, a treasure you can find. He says, talk to the emperor twice. Uh, and when we get to the paintings, you can find a painting of Emperor Gestal. Siegfried is here. He says that someone's been running around pretending to be him and not to be fooled. So that a buffoon who steals treasure, who you've fought a couple times, is not the Siegfried here in the Coliseum who will kick your Tukus if you fight him in the Coliseum. And then you can bet the striker, which is the, the weapon Shadow's looking for. Shadow will show up. You fight Shadow in the Coliseum. And then he will explain, you know, the only thing I know how to do is fight. But uh, he will join the party because what the party needs is someone who knows how to fight. Uh, yeah, right. Well, luckily, that's what we're aiming to do. So, Okay, so next, why don't we head to Narsh? Uh, the classroom is still here. If you are interested, you can get a free healing in the classroom. Uh, Lone Wolf is around. He shows up. He explains that there's nothing left, only one Moogle, and only a treasure hunter could pick those locks. And then he takes off. So we're going to go a little bit out of order here. We're going to pretend we have lock with us for the moment because all the buildings here are locked up. But if you've got lock, he can unlock the doors and you can go through and you can find an old man in the weapon shop who has a piece of magicite. It is a Ragnarok magicite, and he offers to turn it into the Ragnarok sword. So you can either have the magicite or the sword, one or the other. There's also an old man who's dying in a house who will give you the cursed shield. Uh, and the Cursed Shield, if you use it in 255 battles on the 256th, it will become the Paladin Shield. But without Locke, you can't go into any of the buildings. So you go up into the caves and you can find Mog, and Mog is thrilled to see his friends. He said, I thought you were off feeding the worms. And then he says, you know what? We could really use some Sasquatch muscle. Besides, he'd be helpless without me. And then he will take you through the caves. Actually, first got to go up to the mountains where Valagamonda is still encased in ice. Uh, And if you defeat Balagarmanda, you free him from the ice. He's been frozen for the last thousand years, and he asks, you know, has that stupid war lasted a thousand years? Uh, I hope you can do better, and he turns himself into magicite. And then a new area opens up, and you can go through the caves, and it's got this quirky, uh, I would say, Sasquatch-themed music. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And it's full of switches and traps that'll drop you through the floor, and eventually you find your way to a cave. That has a bone carving. And there's a magisite inside it. And if you take it, you're attacked by a Sasquatch. And when you defeat the Sasquatch, he is very sad-looking and crouching in the corner. And Mog says, I'm your boss. You're going to join us. Admirer of bone carvings. As strong as a Gigas. A yeti pal with muscle. And it's uh, it's one of our optional characters. Umaro the Sasquatch. Yeah... A weird one. Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't really fit the Uh, themes, right? Though there is kind of a big brother, little brother dynamic going on here. I'm not sure who's the big brother and who's the little brother. I think the little one's the big brother and the big brother's (laughs) the little one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. There's not a whole lot more to Umaru. 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 I wondered... At times, if that name in any way was supposed to be an homage to the composer, it's close to Umatsu, Umaru, I don't know. Um, But yeah, other than it being kind of novel and fun and interesting that you've got this giant ice yeti as a member of your party who can throw other members of your party in battle and is very strong, uh, there's there's not a whole lot to it like it would again there's another character you could probably leave out entirely and it wouldn't change anything but you wouldn't if we were remaking or redoing this we would try to find more to do not less to do with Amara you wouldn't want to leave him completely out it also helps give the game some of its weird charm and there are plenty of other monster t- we, we we talked about lone wolf being a wolf man for no particular reason mm-hmm. um, all of the espers are very monster like so I feel like by this point a semi intelligent sasquatch who follows the orders of a small moogle at least for the aesthetics it's pleasing
1: <laughs> yeah I, I really dig it the only thing I don't like about the optional characters is that the last dungeon requires three parties of four which is 12 characters. The two optional characters mean we have 14 characters so we're still leaving two out which kind of bothers me. But I like Umaro, I like the aesthetic like you said I think it's it's fun and interesting and a little quirky. And there is a little bit between Umaro and Mog that would be fun to play with.
0: Yeah. And you know, if you're going to do optional characters, you're in a tough spot, and we saw this in Final Fantasy VII where the optional characters actually have way more story. In fact, it's kind of mind-blowing how intrinsically linked to everything going on in the world of that game, particularly uh, Vincent is, but then it's weird that they're like not in the final cinematic because right. they're optional. Right. Um, where in this... And I don't know, we'll talk about it when we get there, but I actually don't know what happens when you get to the ending of this game if you don't have all the characters when it does that part where it runs oh. through them.
1: I I just have to assume it skips the ones you don't have. I don't know,
0: but but How would you the piece of music yeah, sound really weird.
1: I don't know either. If you know, um, let us know.
0: Yeah, we may have to look that up. It just occurred to me. It's like, we've always gotten all the characters. It's never uh, occurred to us to not do that, but... Yeah, Umaru and then ultimately Go-Go. You know, Go-Go, there's a little more mystery, a little more suggestion, um, and Final Fantasy V helps make that interesting. But, yeah, it's... Clearly they wanted to go the route of, we've got optional characters, and if you choose not to get them... And this was also, remember, before the internet, and you basically just had to have a strategy guide if you wanted to know for sure how to get these characters, particularly sure. Go-Go. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, Though I'm proud of myself that I figured go, go out without yeah. a strategy guide. Yeah. Well, if you go
0: around and talk to enough people, you, you can find it out, and that's pretty awesome. But if you happen to miss it, right. you're not missing some really vital part of the game.
1: No. Speaking of vital parts of the game, let's head back to Mobla's. Heading back to Mobla's, it's uh, at least as messed up as it was last time we were here. Uh, you go down into the caves where the children live, and we quickly learn that uh, Katrin is gone. Katrin and Dwayne, remember, were the eldest of the, the children. The kids talk about uh, her belly's getting bigger, and Dwayne was mean to her. And so a little more searching, you got to go to a different house, and you can find Dwayne sort of pacing, and he, you know, I don't know what to do. Katrin's pregnant. There's a hidden stairwell that a doggie will reveal and if you go down there, you find Tara and Katrin. And Katrin is thrilled to be pregnant. She is so happy to have a child. But Dwayne, she says, seems miserable. And we get this nice little scene where Dwayne comes downstairs and he he apologizes for having not been as supportive as as he should be. Uh, he's just worried about the state of the world. And, and we have this nice conversation between them about, you know, we're, we have to keep trying. We have to keep moving on, which is one of the themes of the World of Ruin. Uh, and just as we're really getting into the conversation, Poom Baba attacks again. Terra is still not prepared to fight, so she turns to our heroes and says, please save the village. So our heroes run out there to fight the giant green kaiju monster. And they're doing a pretty good job, but then Poom Baba has a move called Baba Breath, which will knock two random characters out of battle. And Terra's like, oh, no, they can't do it, just the two of them. And she runs out there and and turns into her Esper form. Uh, She maintains her Esper form the whole time so you can just spam the spells and quickly defeat Pumbaba. Uh, And all the kids run out because when there's a monster fight, the first thing you should do is leave your cave, I guess. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But the the kids come out and they are thrilled that the the monster has been defeated, but then Terra lands in her Esper form. And for a moment, they're terrified because it's another monster. Uh, and it, you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm afraid I'm always afraid but then one of the little girls she recognizes Tara even in her Esper form uh, and she approaches and she says mama it's you isn't it I can tell and one by one the kids realize who it is and and once they realize it's Tara they accept her uh, without reservation as little kids are wont to do they're so much better than adult people <laughs> I know I know God and Tara says, you know, I, I finally understand what I've been feeling. I've kept it buried for so long, but it's love. And I will fight for the future of our children. And she says to them, listen, kids, I have to go away for a while. But I will return once your future is secured. We must believe we have a future and fight for everyone, even those not yet born.
0: Man. Uh, Tara... Ah, so good. It's so good. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's, a, again, very serious. There's like a teen pregnancy angle in here. There is. Very serious topics in this Super Nintendo game that also had a suicide attempt and yeah, a lot of death and destruction. But, uh-huh. yeah, I, I've always loved this moment where she, she finally finds the will and then, as you said, the, the kid's... Accept her, they accept both parts of her. They've obviously already accepted the human side of her. Right, right. And and when they see this, they are for a moment scared, but uh, they embrace her and uh, she can embrace them. And also in doing so and in fighting off, Pumbaba r- recognizes that Her task, her duty is not done. She is one of the very few people who is strong enough to stand up for what's right and to fight for the future, and so she must. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and thank you to everyone who's reached out to us. Feel free to let us know what we missed, got wrong, or should have mentioned. You can follow us on Facebook or Twitter at FFWeeklyPod, or you can email us at Final Fantasy Weekly at gmail.com. We are also now on Patreon. While the podcast is still free to listen to via archive.org, if you want to download it on your regular podcast services, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. Join us next time when we scour the world of ruin for the rest of The Returners.